Welcome into the Illini cast. I am Austin. Sonny is out for this episode, and I wanted to bring in Brendan Dwierzynski, a former Tay and Jay intern back in the day, and it is great to be reconnected with him because the Illini are playing the Kansas Jayhawks in Lawrence, Kansas on Friday night, and there's a lot of energy going on in, at the University of Kansas with Lance Leipold coming in, a electric quarterback play, and just a renovated stadium coming along too so the energy for kansas football arguably couldn't be higher since 2007 so kind of a similar situation as the fighting illini and brendan welcome into the podcast austin thank you so much for having me excited to be here i have been looking forward to this game on the schedule since the home and home was announced a few years ago obviously since uh rku schedule came out this year uh been a long time coming i mean i i grew up two parents who went to and got engaged at the University of Illinois, like you mentioned, interned with Tay and Jay back in summer 2016. So, um, you know, I care about the Illini program a lot. They're not my alma mater. KU is. Uh, so obviously my allegiances lie there. But uh, no, this is this is a game I've been really hyped up for for a long time coming. I mean, it's kind of wild when that game was announced. You were thinking that it was going to be a matchup of like two potentially three maybe four win teams if if things even go right for those programs you win a big 10 game as a surprise and then you win your fcs and your mid-major team and now this is a game that could determine a possibly new year's six bowl game if things really go well for both programs but a lot of that's due to the brett bielema at illinois and Lance Leipold at Kansas. Uh, what has been your thoughts on Lance Leipold whenever he was hired and how he's met those expectations uh, at the Kans at Kansas? I mean, he has been, and not to be too overkill with this. I mean, he's been a godsend for for KU for the KU athletic department. Um, some some background into for for those who might not have paid super close attention to what was going on at KU before. Lance showed up. So we know about how miserable KU was for a long time. There were the Mark Mangino years. You mentioned those at the top with the Orange Bowl. And then the year after that, a bowl game, a bowl game win over Minnesota in an eight-win year in 2008. And then Mangino gets fired. And you had Turner Gill, which was a failed coaching hire. Charlie Weiss, which was a disaster when I started going to school in Lawrence. Then you had David Beatty, who is one of the worst football coaches to ever get a head position. And then you had Les Miles, who I can't even begin to talk about how badly that went on the field. Now, granted, he did help get some of the scholarship numbers back up for KU. He was effectively a, a figurehead who could still recruit a little bit, which was important for the program. But between all those failed coaches with an interim in there as well and multiple failed athletic directors, it was pretty much the basketball program and, and Bill Self doing his own thing with men's basketball and then a failing football program and a bunch of other programs on campus that really were not living up to their potential at the University of Kansas. So they bring in, KU does, Travis Goff, who's the current athletic director, former assistant AD at Northwestern under Jim Phillips. And he is, I think it goes without saying, one of the th three or four most important hires that KU Athletics has ever made. And also in that conversation, obviously Bill Self, as well as Lance Leipold. And he was a finalist along with Jeff Munkin at Army, who I, I love, huge fan of Jeff Munkin. He's who I probably would have picked of the two, but I remember saying at the time, look, I'll take either one. I would be, love to have Lance Leipold after what he did at Whitewater, what he did at Buffalo, come to KU, try to resurrect this program. It ends up being him, and it could not have been 
a more perfect fit. The way he has enabled his players to take ownership of the program, despite being an older guy, you know, a late 50s coach now, he is very much a player's coach. He's had tons of staff continuity. His offensive coordinator, Andy Kotelnicki, defensive coordinator, Brian Borland, they've been with him since Wisconsin Whitewater. A lot of the assistants and other staffers on this team have been with this particular program since it was back at the D3 level at Whitewater, certainly some from Buffalo with a couple of stragglers who were around for the last miles era at KU too. And it has just been success after success. The first year, we remember the Texas win. Uh, Jared Casey is a name that became a household name in college football in 2021. The walk-on from literally from a town called Plainville in Kansas. That's how small town we're talking here. The win over Texas, Jalen Daniels emerges as, hey, this, this might be a guy. Last year, second team, all Big 12, despite missing five weeks due to injury. KU makes a bowl, college game day, all of that. New stadium plans, brand new locker room this year that the players are jazzed about. And this year, I mean, the hype, like you mentioned at the top, is about as strong as it has been in 15 plus years. And I know that's a lot of recap, a lot of narrative of where this program has been, but I don't think you can underrate how important Lance Leipold has been to this university, to getting program, to getting various programs around the athletic department done, to leading to a new stadium. Hell, part of his newest contract when he got extended after last season was you need to make legitimate progress on improving facilities and the stadium by X date and Y date and Z date. It was in there. Otherwise, the buyout was canceled if they hadn't started to make progress on it. So he's gotten things done. A new stadium is desperately needed. And a winning football program, just a competitive football program, was definitely needed. And the recruiting has gotten better. Granted, I, I think it is important to say, I'm not talking about KU being the next Ohio State. It's it's not about to be you know the next Georgia sleeping giant program. But for where KU was, as low as you can go in Power 5 to where it is now, I don't think you can say enough about what he and that staff that's filled with continuity have done for this program. I mean, again, the similarities to Illinois are just so so there where you had the hype higher with Les Miles and Lovey Smith. Both of those guys didn't work out. You had an interim coach in there. And then you have like guys that were – kind of for the same job at Illinois and Illinois goes with Brett Bielema. So that's going to add some added chip to the shoulder there uh, for Lance Leipold. But I'm going to Lawrence, Kansas on Friday for the game. What kind of atmosphere can I anticipate in the stadium? Have the students shown up in a big way since, uh, uh, since Lance Leipold's uh, kind of turned this program around in the short term? So the, Theme for this weekend, it's going to be a, a blackout game. I do not remember ever seeing a KU football blackout game before. They've got brand new black jerseys, black helmets, all that. Apparently, and Lance Leipold said this to us at his press conference earlier this week, apparently he's a big uniform guy and he he loves it. And he's got his hands in this and he loves to be a part of the design phase and, and the players love it and they're hyped. They're giving away a bunch of black t-shirts. So the hype is absolutely there. KU just had in its opener and a win over Missouri State its highest attended season opener in a decade since I believe, if I'm not mistaken here, 2013, my freshman year uh, when KU picked up a win in its FCS game in the season opener. And that was the Weiss era. And no one expected KU to be all that good, but at least a little better than they ended up being. But the hype is real. I mean, it is legitimate buzz around campus. And, and that's something that the players actually talked about who took a trip down to Big 12 Media Days back in July uh, at Jerry World in Arlington. Uh, Devin Neal, who is from Lawrence, he is KU through and through. He said, hey, 
when, even when I started two years ago in 2021, like we, it was just like, oh yeah, they're football players, whatever. Cause it'll always be a basketball school at Kansas. Right. I mean, we know that is the focal point of athletics at the university of Kansas, but it was, oh shoot, that that's Devin Neal. Oh, that's Jalen Daniels. That's Jason Bean. Suddenly it was the football players weren't just any other athlete and not to put rowers down, but it's like, oh yeah, they got the name tag in your bag. Okay. Oh, they're, they're a rower They're you know, whatever. Now it's, oh shoot, that's, that's a football player. That's Jalen Daniels. We know who the quarterback is. We care who the quarterbacks, the running backs, you know, star cornerback, Kobe Bryant, guys like that. They are big men on campus again. So the players are feeling it. The students have done a much better job over the last, I'd say from about the midway point of last season until now, doing what KU is billing as packing the booth, David Booth, Kansas Memorial Stadium, nicknamed the booth. Some people don't like it because it's a war memorial. Some people have really bought into it. That's beside the point. The students have done a much better job of showing up because I will tell you this. I have this one of my most vivid memories from my time as a student at KU was 2015 homecoming. KU played Oklahoma. Not a team you want to play on homecoming, but that 2015 team went winless and you knew it wasn't going to end well anyway. And I swear to you, it was the most well-attended game of the season, if I remember correctly, at the stadium, at KU. And I could, I swear, 90-plus percent was Oklahoma fans. It was far more Oklahoma Crimson than it was KU Crimson in the building that day. I, I sat alone. I went alone to the game as a fan, and I thought, this sucks. This is not fun. We got... I had local people who were Oklahoma fans like talking to me all condescending throughout the game. Oh, you guys will get there someday. I thought we better because this is a miserable experience. And and I'm very thankful that the fans have bought in because we know what the, you know, the story about Allen Fieldhouse and what that environment is like. And to get even some of that energy, you know, 40 plus thousand, close to 50,000 at, uh, at Kansas football games, it's, it's very cool. So I know that's a very loquacious, long-winded way to get to the final answer here. But but the students have bought in, alumni have bought in. Thankfully, KU's biggest pockets of alumni are not too far away. Overland Park, Lenexa, Johnson County, Kansas, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes for some folks. It's going to be a packed house on Friday night. I don't think it is sold out yet. I'm sure it'll get fairly close to that, but it's going to be buzzing. And it's going to be, I would say, one of the more fun environments that we've seen for a KU football game in quite some time. Now, the product on the field, what has been Lance Leipold's uh, DNA in terms of his offense and his defense, a defensive approach to the game of football? So on the offensive side of the ball, and this is one of the things that I really bought into right away when Leipold was hired, because his last season at Buffalo, if you remember the name Jarrett Patterson, he was one of the best running backs in college football in Leipold's final year at Buffalo, ends up going to the NFL. I'm not sure if he's still rostered in Washington or where he ended up. But he was a superstar. He might have led the country that year. If not the country, he was one of the country's top running backs that year in pretty much every statistical category. So Leipold comes in, and the immediate thought from folks who maybe weren't super familiar with his game in Buffalo or at Whitewater was, okay, this is going to be a run-heavy team. There were a lot of comparisons to what Illinois was looking to be doing with some of that ground-and-pound stuff that, all right, this is going to be a run-first team. That's fine. Big 12, we think about all those air raid offenses, teams that love to throw the ball all over the yard. This will be a little bit of a zig when everyone else zags. Fine. But Leipold said early on, hey, I'm not married to that. We ran the ball a ton because we had Jarrett Patterson. We had guys who were really good runners. You want to go back a couple years prior, we were throwing the ball a lot more. We were running a lot more spread it out kind of stuff. 
So the fact that he's not married to one specific thing, I think is very valuable. The continuity is extremely valuable as well. I was mentioning Andy Kotelnicki, who's been Leipold's offensive coordinator for years and years now. I don't even know when he started with Leipold, but I do know it goes back to the Division Three ranks. So KU has the ability to give you multiple looks to be a little chameleon from game to game because they do have a bunch of core run concepts they like to use. KU will run plays that are triple option based. They're not going to run the pure flex bone. They're not going to run things out of the wishbone 90% of the time. But especially if Jalen Daniels is in the game, and it sounds like he is going to end up playing on Friday, they will run triple option concepts, which is a good thing for KU because the best deepest position group on the team is the offensive line. And then next to that, it's the running backs. So that is something you're going to see a lot of in this game. And Daniels can throw. He's got an arm and KU has a talented, if not top end elite kind of talented wide receiver room. Uh, A guy from the greater Kansas City area, just on the Missouri side, uh, Luke Grimm has been a little bit banged up, but he's become one of the more underrated wide receivers in the Big 12. Quentin Skinner really blew up last year. Trevor Wilson's a guy who had hype last year, had some off the field issues, got suspended for a while, but had a really impressive week last week against Missouri State. He's going to step up big, uh, I would assume, continuing over the rest of the season. So all again, all of that roundabout to say, offensively, you're going to get a bunch of different looks from this team. They are very much a team that is willing to change based on the opponent. And Leipold spoke earlier this week, and Kotelnicki did too, about how, hey, look, we know Illinois is big. We know they are physical. We know they want to win up front. We know they can win up front. So this game is going to be about winning and being successful play to play, not just relying on explosives. Now, I personally do believe there will be some opportunities for some of those explosive plays that KU has had a lot of success with over the last, last season, last, what would that be, 14 games now. But you're going to have to win consistently. And that, again, I think is where that offensive line, that running game is going to come into effect. And you've got to have your quarterbacks make smart plays too. That's really what it comes down to. Do you trust Jalen Daniels or frequently used backup Jason Bean to make the right reads, to make the right decisions? Because that's going to inform a lot of the play calling. Defensively, and that's where I think this game is going to swing, really with the Kansas defense. You've got a really talented secondary. Kenny Logan has been a multi-year starter, team captain, extremely important piece of this Kansas program, both on the field and off the field for a long time. Kobe Bryant, his full name is Jacoby. He goes by Kobe. He's a phenomenal player, ball hawk, really good ball skills, had a pick in week one, in fact, was one of the breakout players for this program a year ago. Really talented in the secondary. Romello Dotson on the corner as well. Marvin Grant, who's a transfer from Purdue from two seasons ago. He's very talented in the secondary as well. The questions arise the closer you get to the line of scrimmage. Linebacker core, Rich Miller, has been with Leipold since the Buffalo days. He was a transfer in. Solid, solid player, not a spectacular athlete, but a team leader. Craig Young is a transfer, now in his second year at KU, from Ohio State. One of my favorite players on the team. Incredible athlete who I think has an NFL future. And then you get to the defensive line, where you've got one defensive end who's returning with starting experience from a year ago a transfer at defensive tackle in Devin Phillips from Colorado State, who I really like and I think will be an impact player, and a handful of other transfers, Dylan Brooks from Auburn, Gage Keys from Minnesota, Austin Booker from Minnesota, kind of a hodgepodge of players who can play inside, who can play outside, who this team needs to get production from. So KU's secondary, not really worried about it. Good coverage, guys. 
good ball skills throughout there. Linebackers, athletic, if not a little shaky. The defensive line is where this thing is going to change because if they can match up to Illinois' physical offensive front, a veteran physical offensive front, I think this is going to be a great game. If Illinois bullies KU up front and takes advantage of a less experienced and maybe just generally less talented defensive line, that is what I think could very easily swing things Illinois' way. Let's go back to that offensive side of the ball and Jalen Daniels, who said that there's a chance that he does play on Friday night. How do you think he compares to the rest of the quarterbacks in your conference in the Big 12? I genuinely believe, and I we went through this uh, one day. My my day job is as a, a sports talk host in Topeka, Kansas. We cover KU, K-State, pro-level Chiefs and Royals as well. But right in the middle, essentially, 30 minutes from Lawrence, 45 minutes from Manhattan. So we get a lot of KU and K-State. And I genuinely believe that probably for the first time in the history of the Big 12, Big 8, Big 6 conference, the two best quarterbacks in the Big 12 are both in the state of Kansas. I think Jalen Daniels and Will Howard at KU and K-State are the two best quarterbacks. Some people will say Quinn Ewers because he's got a lot of NFL dreams. I, I've got the tape. I don't personally believe that. I'm not a Dylan Gabriel guy, the quarterback at o- Oklahoma. I think Jalen Daniels is either the best or the second best quarterback in the conference. He's not huge, but you can live with a six-foot-tall quarterback in the college game. NFL, I don't know what his prospects are going to be. College game, though, he's got the athleticism. He's got a great arm for his size, great work ethic, great team leader. I mean, he's pretty much everything you could want out of a college quarterback, especially in a system like KU runs where you're going to give opposing defenses a lot of looks. Now, he, I think, is an interesting case in this game because at his best, fully healthy, fully confident, in rhythm, I think is among the best quarterbacks in the country. I, I genuinely, honestly believe that because of his skill set and because of the development he's had with Leipold. He was a Les Miles recruit. That's a kind of an, un, it's not untold, but sort of an underlying, underrated story about where he's come from, that he stuck with the program, thought he was going to be a redshirt two years ago, ends up starting the final three games of the year and has now erupted into this superstar player. He has been at his best when he's been in that groove, when he has had the consistency, when he has been out there, been able to throw it around, and has has seen success and been able to build on it. Going back to last season, after he had suffered the shoulder injury, fairly notorious injury, uh, college game day was in town when KU played TCU, and he got injured late in the second quarter, missed several weeks due to the shoulder injury. His first game back was against Texas. Bigger, faster, stronger team than Kansas. Understandably so. Look at the recruiting rankings, the blue chips, all of that. We know the reputation of Texas football. Jalen was not good. I mean, he he just wasn't. He didn't quite have it, didn't have great velocity on the ball, wasn't making great decisions, was stort, was was forcing things. And even at the start of the Kansas State game, uh, it was either a week or two weeks later, it was the same thing, that it just it wasn't quite there. He still wasn't his whole self. Fast forward then to the bowl game. KU plays in the Liberty Bowl against Arkansas, comes up short. One of the best bowl games that I can remember in recent history goes into multiple overtimes. And in the second half, after a couple shaky plays in the first half, I mean, it might have been the best quarterback half of a football game in Kansas history. I mean, he was hitting everybody in stride, hit every single route you could ask for, velocity on the ball, touch on the ball, just an unbelievable half of football. So at his best, in rhythm, and with momentum, both mentally and physically on the field, I think he can hold his own with that that tier of quarterbacks that's right below Caleb Williams and Drake May. I think as a college quarterback, he's right there. But he's got to be that level of good. And the reason this is important this week then, he didn't play in week one. He was dealing with some back issues that had been bothering him throughout camp. 
And because of that, he didn't get a lot of team reps. Leipold didn't feel comfortable playing him. KU plays its backup. Jason Bean is a great backup quarterback, but KU's at its best when it has Jalen Daniels. So if he is feeling good, he's feeling comfortable, there are no lingering issues with the back, I think he can have another superstar performance coming up on Friday. If that back is bothering him, though, or if he feels some rust from being limited throughout fall camp, it might get a little bit uglier because sometimes he does have a tendency to force things. In terms of Jalen Daniels' weapons, if Kansas were to win this game, who has got to step up in terms of Jalen's weapons? I think one group to keep an eye on, and I mentioned a couple of those wide receivers, and I I love Luke Grimm. I think every time I go on uh, a KU podcast, shout out to the Rock Chalk Pod and Andy Mitts, anytime I go on the air in Topeka and I can bring up Luke Grimm, I do, because I absolutely love that dude's game. But I think the tight ends this week are going to be the position group to watch for KU. And there are three that get used more than anyone else. Number one is Mason Fairchild, who's in, you know, kind of a second, third team, all Big 12 kind of player. He's a Kansas kid from Andale, which, by the way, Andale High School has the longest winning streak in the entire country right now. They are just a machine in high school football in Kansas. But he's a product of that school, the best receiver of the group. He's an okay blocker. He's fine. He, he can hold his own. That's not an issue. Um, but he's a multifaceted player. They'll use him as a lead blocker for some of those option runs, some of their perimeter stuff. He can be a vertical threat. He's not just your your classic Jason Witten, run eight yards, turn around kind of tight end. He can be a true vertical threat. Jared Casey, who I mentioned a little bit earlier, the hero of that Texas game a couple of years ago, he does everything right. Every single time he is on the field, he does everything right. He's not the best athlete. He's a stockier player, but KU can use him as a bit of an H-back, lead fullback, physical, great blocker. He's got surprisingly soft hands for his body type as well and his role. And then the third tight end is Trevor Cardell, who might be the best athlete of the group. He's never quite gotten his footing down, but he was a joint baseball and football player when he came to KU. Stellar athlete. Again, not huge. Fairchild is the biggest of the group height-wise, but again, a little bit of a stockier, more built player who's got blocking skills, showed those off a little bit against Missouri State. That's the group I'm most interested in because I like the running backs. I like the wide receiver group. But if you can get those multi-dimensional tight ends involved and use some of your own physicality, we talk about Illinois' physicality and rightfully so. I mean, look look at the size, look at the roster, just look at that team on tape. You can see how important that is. And and we know Brett Bielema. We, we know what Brett Bielema mm-hmm. likes to do at yeah. this point. But if you can use some of your physicality to try to match that as best as possible, I think that's going to be a major benefit for KU. And hell, it might just end up being as a lead blocker on some of these runs. It might be we're going to give the ball to Devin Neal. We're going to give the ball to Daniel Highshaw, the top two running backs for this team. Jared Casey, you've got to make the right block on the edge. We're going to go with 12 personnel, two tight ends. We're going to need both combo blocks on the outside from Fairchild and Cardell to make this happen. They might not have the best stats in this game, but I do think they're going to play a pivotal role because that physicality, I, I hate to beat a dead horse, but it is going to be so crucial for KU to be able to match Illinois in that regard. Now with... Uh... Illinois' defensive linemen, especially the law firm of Keith Randolph and Jerzon Newton, how is Kansas' offensive line play going to respond to the defensive line of the Fighting Illini? Newton's such a stud. I was watching a little bit of him. I, I put a post up for uh, for BlueWingsRising.com. It's the Sports Illustrated vertical for for KU. I do some freelance for them, and I was looking up some of the the Illinois roster, trying to watch a little film uh, just to get ready for the game, and I thought, God dang, he, there's a reason he was preseason all Big Ten. That dude is a freak. Um, 
the offensive line for KU, I think, is a really interesting group because early last season, they were awesome. They they were truly great. Jalen Daniels, I don't think, had gotten sacked for the first five games of the season last year. Maybe it was six games of the season. They hadn't allowed a sack. The push in the run game, okay, not great. And then as the grind of the Big 12 season went on and you had to play Oklahoma and you had to play Texas, and you had to play Kansas State, that started to wear on them and I think some of the chinks in the armor showed. This year, I think the group is even better despite losing arguably last year's best offensive lineman in Earl Bostic, who's now actually on the practice squad with the Dallas Cowboys. He was undrafted, signed with the Cowboys uh, this past May. You've got an offensive line coach in Scott Fuchs who loves to cross-train his offensive linemen. So the starting left tackle for KU, to give you an example, Dominic Pooney, who you want to talk about finding talent wherever you can. He was a transfer from Division II Central Missouri of the MIAA, which is the SEC of Division II, but that's a conversation for another day. He comes in. He has been unbelievable to anchor this offensive line for the last two seasons. He played guard for, I believe, almost every single snap that he saw last season. He's now slid over to left tackle. Fuchs loves to have linemen who can play in multiple spots. And aside from KU starting center Mike Nowitzki, who's also a stud, Everybody on that line can play in different positions. So they know how to run block everywhere. They know how to pass block everywhere. And I do think that this is a stronger unit than a year ago. That's a whole other discussion to get into and the improvements KU's made in a strength and conditioning department, especially for those big boys up front. But I think that is going to be, again, to, to bring up that word of the day, that physicality, it's going to be huge that they're able to get that push and prove that Last year was a growing year when they struggled down the stretch against those bigger programs, against the OUs and the UTs, that against a team like Illinois, who's got those guys up front, who are going to be disruptive. This is not a game where I think, yeah, they're going to hold, you know, Newton's going to end up with one hurry, one tackle, and that's going to be it. They're going to get theirs. I'm certain of that. But can you mitigate that as much as possible? Can you use the play calling to your advantage? Can you use the athleticism and the multiplicity of what those guys are successful Excuse me, at doing up front to gain an advantage? That, I think, is going to be as important. So while the physicality for everyone else is a big deal, I think the athleticism up front is going to be big because you're going to have to get to the perimeter in this game. KU's got plenty of team speed. You've got to be able to use it. So get some of those pulling guards outside, pull center outside in Mike Nowitzki. Some of those different things, more creative things you're going to have to do to win this game. There's a lot of pressure on those guys, but I do think they're up to it. And like I said earlier, I think that's, I would probably say the first or second most deep, most talented unit that KU has this year. Now, flipping to the other side of the ball, I know Illinois will try to get the ball to Isaiah Williams in a myriad of creative ways. How will Kansas be able to stop that with their athleticism? Are they more of a uh, vertical, get-downhill kind of defensive back scheme, or do they like to have athleticism, possibly be some ball hawks, or what is the philosophy of the secondary of Kansas? Yeah, that was something that I think got a lot of KU fans riled up a year ago, getting more used to Brian Borland's defensive scheme with better players. Because two years ago, KU only ends up winning two games in the first year under this regime, and it's very much a... It, it was year zero. Leipold did not take over. His first day on the job was the day after the spring game going into the 2021 season. So it was a total year zero for the program. So, you know, whatever happened, happened. Last year, I think there was a lot of grief among at least some parts of the fan base that why are we not playing a more physical brand of football? We've got these cornerbacks, these safeties who can make plays on the ball, but they're playing off. They're giving too much room. 
And as a fan of the Green Bay Packers, I have to hear that Saturdays and Sundays, and it drives me insane. But I digress. So it is a little bit of softer coverage on the back, and it's an attempt to play some sort of hybrid bend but don't break. We want to make big plays without also gambling too often or taking gambles that are too big and giving up those big plays and giving up those explosives. So I wouldn't say it's an entirely downhill in your face physical secondary, but you've got guys who, again, have athleticism and have the ability to make plays on the ball, stripping balls out, intercepting them, whatever. They can make plays. It's just not the most aggressive defense you're ever going to see. Up front, and you talk about some of those weapons going side to side and using their speed, and Isaiah Williams, obviously at the top of that list, that's where a guy like Craig Young comes into play for me, who I mentioned earlier, the transfer from Ohio State, who is one of the best athletes overall in this KU roster. He is KU's best side-to-side player, best sideline-to-sideline guy. That is who I would look to as the must-have player to step up in this game if you're going to limit some of that horizontal action that Illinois is going to run at you. But again, I just circle back to the concerns about that front seven and the concerns about the size, the athleticism, and frankly, just the experience. And it's it's an encouraging group. I listed off a bunch of names earlier. Austin Booker, Gage Keys, the guys who transferred in from Minnesota. Um, Devin Phillips, the transfer at defensive tackle from Colorado State. These are all guys who I think have great potential and are going to be impact players this year. I just don't know if we're going to be able to see the fruits of that labor, so to speak, this early in the season without a little bit more time together with game reps, without a little bit more continuity that they found in game reps. So that's where I have the most concern for KU in this game because the Illinois team speed, it's the Big Ten. It, we know about the you know the cliches about Big Ten football, but Illinois has got athletes out there and you can't just assume they're going to end up scoring 15 points a game. They're going to be able to make plays, obviously, and you know that as well as anybody. So to be able to use the few super athletic front seven players you have, like a Craig Young, to slow down some of that horizontal stuff, that's going to be key. But more than anything, it's just going to be getting any kind of penetration. It doesn't even have to be sacks. It doesn't even have to be tackles for a loss. But those guys up front have to be disruptive. That's going to make things easier on the back end. You're going to have wide receivers who are running free less often against a little bit softer coverage. That, I think, again, is where this game is going to hinge. And it's a legitimate concern. And I think if you're a KU fan, you're a KU supporter, KU media member, you can look at that and say, I'm encouraged by what they are and what talent is there and still say, I don't know if it's at its full potential yet. And that's kind of where I am heading into week two. Yeah, Kansas is favored by three. That might just because it is at Kansas's version of Memorial Stadium. So it might be closer to an even kind of point spread. But what is your prediction for this game? I'll I'll get right to it. I'll be a homer. I will take KU in this game because of the home field advantage. And I'm trying to be as optimistic as I can about that defensive front, that they will do enough to allow the secondary to make plays and for the offense to do what it does. If I'm looking from the outside in at Illinois, obviously still talented, obviously well-coached. They play their brand of football so well, and I think it's going to be another really good year for this Illini program. But I do look at that secondary as something that KU could exploit offensively. I know there's still talent back there. You've still got Big Ten recruiting caliber players back there. But it's hard to bounce back from losing Sidney Brown and Devin Witherspoon. I mean, those are two Mm -hmm. legitimate rotational or starting caliber NFL players as rookies. That is a lot of talent to lose. I've said the same thing about Kansas State. I know I mentioned we we cover them as well on, on 580 in Topeka. I really like Kansas State this year. They're going to be in the hunt for a Big 12 title. They also had both of their starting cornerbacks leave and get drafted this past year. Julius Brents, as well as Josh Hayes, both of whom are draft picks. 
it is hard to replicate that. There are not many teams where you can say, we're going to lose multiple NFL players on our back end and bring in multiple future NFL players, especially this early in the season. So that to me is an area where if KU is able to get some of those explosive plays, it will likely be in the passing game. It'll likely be Wilson. It'll likely be Skinner on some of those deep balls from Jalen Daniels. I think this is going to be a fairly high scoring game because Illinois has got the physical edge. KU has, I think, a, a finesse edge in this game, a little bit more of a high flying offense. So give me. I'll make it as close as I can. I'll even say Illinois covers it. Give me 31 to 30 KU. I really do think this game is a toss-up. And I think, Austin, it's going to tell us a lot about both of these programs. I think for KU, it's obviously going to say, can this team hang with the teams it wants to be a peer to? Which is, you know, is Illinois. It's middle... I hope this doesn't sound insulting to the Illini program. But, you know, that solid middle class of the Big Ten or the middle upper portion of... Uh, you know, the middle to upper third of the Big 12. Programs like that. Can KU hang with a program like that week in and week out? And I think for Illinois on the other side, I would imagine a big question is, can they hang with a team that can put up points like KU is going to be able to do and hang with a high-flying offense like that, given the fact that the secondary is a little less proven than it was a year ago? So I'm I'm fascinated by this game. I'm glad that fans on both sides of this matchup have had this one circled for a while. It's going to be a blast. Again, I'll I'll take KU because I know this program so well. I've been around it for so long, and frankly, that's what fans do. So I'll take KU, but it it really could go either way. I do. I will say this. I think either an Illinois close win or a KU close win, both far more likely than an Illinois big win or a KU big win. Yeah, I mean, I, as we get further away from traditional college football with realignment and you have the different styles of play, um, happening in non-conference play. We know Illinois can hold their own with the Minnesotas, Nebraska's, Iowa, Wisconsin um, in terms of physicality, but there's not a lot of opportunities to play a Big 12 style of team. And I know that I know Lance Leipold has some physical capabilities with his option plays and everything, but it is a different brand of football. And I think that's kind of the most exciting part whenever you have some power five versus power five non-conference games. So I love these games that happen, especially home and home. There's some games that happen in neutral site and kind of uh, neuters the whole thing. But um, that kind of brings me to this next question about the uh, world of big 12 football. You guys have four new members this year, and then you're adding the four corner schools of the Pac-12. What are your thoughts on the Big 12's expansion that they have undergone? I think in the long run, the Big 12 ends up being okay through this whole thing. I mean, that from the business side, obviously losing Oklahoma and Texas is tough because those are the biggest brands in the league. They're the most successful programs in the league, especially Oklahoma over the last decade. I mean, it, during the later Bob Stoops years and the Lincoln Riley years. I mean, they were just a a true machine. So they've taken a little step back from that in their first two years under Brett Venables so far. I mean, it's only the start of year two for Venables now. So losing those brands is obviously going to hurt. But in the long run, you add in four teams from the G5, BYU and then three from the American, who have a lot of want to. They want to be good. And they've got fan bases that want to be good and want to support their teams. BYU has a strong fan base. We know that. that that's built in to that university. Cincinnati's got diehard fans. UCF is growing in that regard and is also a recruiting hotbed. And Houston probably should have been in the Big 12 in the first place instead of Baylor, but we don't need to go 30 years in the past at this point. So those are all programs that have the money behind them, that they want to spend, they want to be better in athletics. They're going to recruit hard. They're going to compete in every sport. 
all, all wins. And you you expand, you get Big 12 football all night because you've got the late games at BYU, the early games in West Virginia and Florida, all good on that front. And the four corner schools, look, it sucks that the Pac-12 is dying. I really do believe that. I know that Larry Scott deserves what he gets. I understand that USC and UCLA and by virtue of that, Oregon and Washington decided to chase the money. And Colorado did too, let's be honest. They bailed before Oregon and Washington did. It sucks that that conference is falling apart. But on the same you know, same side of the coin, you're getting more rivalry action staying together through realignment. So much of that has been lost over the last 13, 14, 15 years at this point. You know, the Big 12 lost Nebraska. KU and Nebraska was one of, and it was very lopsided. Let's be clear about this. It was one of the longest running games in the history of college football. Same with Kansas and Missouri. And those two teams are going to play again in the next couple of years. They're going to put a series together like they've done in basketball. But that's U.S. Kansas fans now who they hate more, Kansas State or Missouri. It's 90% of the time going to be Missouri. I mean, that hatred doesn't go away, but the games have, and that's brutal. That's tough. Bedlam is gone now going forward next season. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, that's obviously a brother versus brother rivalry. But to bring back Colorado, which KU and K-State and Iowa State and Oklahoma State played for 80 years or 60 years or whatever it was, bringing them back into the fold, that's a good thing. Bringing back rivalry in these longstanding streaks of playing each other, that's a good thing. Keeping Arizona and Arizona State in the Territorial Cup together. That's good. That's a win for college sports. Utah and BYU going to be a conference game again. The Holy War. Awesome. That is tremendous. That, that's great. You get West Virginia and Cincinnati paired together again after their Big East days of an era gone by. Like, that's good. So as much as it is bad from the business side to lose OU in Texas, and I tell you what, especially in basketball, KU going down to Texas, those games were a hoot. That was a legit rivalry. You know, you go back Kevin Durant era, late aughts, some incredible games between KU and Texas on the basketball court. So losing them sucks. And to watch a storied conference like the Pac-12 die, that really sucks too. But through all the negatives of realignment, I do think the Big 12 made out pretty well. And frankly, from the Kansas perspective, they still play Kansas State every year. They still play Iowa State every year. That that's what's important at this point. It for me is about keep rivalries together, and as long as those rivalries stay connected, I'm going to be okay with it. So I, I think the Big Twelve ended up making out just okay. And I mean, for your Kansas football program, it's a chance to climb up the rungs as opposed yep. to in the Big Ten when Illinois is going out now up against Oregon, Washington, USC, and UCLA. We're going to be pushed down a little bit now. Kansas has that opportunity to rise uh, rise a little bit. That's got to be exciting. It is, and I think that's a point that a lot of Big 12 programs have brought up. I know Kansas State fans are all in on that, and they they deserve it. They've been a good program for a long time now, coming off a Big 12 title. They are very much in the camp of, why can't we be the premier athletic department in the new Big 12? And I think Oklahoma State feels that way. They've obviously won so much in football um, over time with Mike Gundy. A lot of the Texas schools understandably feel that way. Kansas has a lot of fans that care a lot about the program. They've got a head coach who knows what he's doing. Bill Self still running the basketball program, which is obviously a big deal. KU has been great with the NIL fundraising up to this point. The Mass Street Collective has been sensational. They have been very much on the forefront of the NIL landscape, which has been huge. I mean, whether whether you like it or not, or you approve or disprove of the 
disapprove of the NIL era. It is here. It is not going away. And I appreciate that Kansas has been at the forefront of that. So even if, you know, if OU and Texas were still around, if this was the big 12, you know, the alignment of it circa 2010, who knows, who knows what it is going to look like at that point. You still have Missouri in who's a peer. You have Nebraska in who is bad now, but for so many years beat up on KU plus OU in Texas, Texas A&M at that time maybe things aren't changing as much as they're changing right now. But with a wide open conference, it, it's got to be encouraging if you're KU. Years that otherwise may have been five or six win seasons, maybe now they're eight or nine win seasons down the line. So there's definitely a lot of energy. And again, fans are going to like to come out more if they're in a stadium that uh, actually has you know functioning facilities. So that is going to help increase fan engagement as well. So it's it's a pretty fun era to be involved in Kansas sports, to be completely honest with you. Now that there's multiple respectable programs on campus. <laughs> now let's move over to Fog Allen. Our old pal Bill Self is actually coming back to Champaign for that wonderful cause of uh, the Maui uh, fire relief, which is going to be a raucous environment. That boo will be the the biggest boo that Bill Self <laughs> might ever hear, uh, which is just wild. It's going to be an exhibition game. But how is that Kansas program going to look this year adding Hunter Dickinson? It should be, you know, every year at Kansas basketball, it is final four slash national championship or bust because that that's what it is, is a blue blood. Duke feels the same way. Kentucky, North Carolina, they all feel that same way. At some point, UCLA probably felt that way as well. That's the expectation. This year with this roster, and there, there are a couple kinks in it. Three-point shooting is going to be a question for sure. That stands out in mind. This program is truly final four or bust. And we know people who follow college basketball know probably the worst way to determine a champion is by a single elimination tournament in multiple sites across multiple weeks. Like the instant it it's the best entertainment, but it's probably the worst way to accurately pick the best team in your sport. So things can happen. Upsets happen. One guy has an off day and it totally changes things. Or like last year for KU, your coach has a sudden heart health episode and doesn't even get to coach in the conference or NCAA tournaments changes a whole lot of things. But that being said, you bring back Dewan Harris, who doesn't score a whole lot, but in terms of everything else you need from a point guard, defense, assists, floor general, leadership, all that, among the very best in the entire country. K.J. Adams was last year's Big 12 Most Improved Player of the Year, and the biggest coup of anyone was to bring back Kevin McCuller. Sixth year now in college, it'll be his second year at KU. No one thought he was coming back. I certainly did not think he was coming back. I thought he was going to start his pro career along with his buddy Jalen Wilson. He comes back for one more year, gets some of that NIL cash, and he's one of the five best perimeter defenders in college basketball. You add in the transfers. You mentioned Hunter Dickinson, who... You want to talk about booze? Bill Self's going to get booed like crazy at State Farm Center. I know that for sure. Hunter Dickinson returning. I know Illinois fans didn't think they were going to have to deal with that guy again. Uh, he what's is going to be get. Before, before, what's funny about that is Hunter Dickinson might get his first win against the Illini, and it's not even going to count. <laughs> that's true. No, that's an entirely fair point. You know, a lot of fans are going to throw that back at him. Hey, that didn't count. That was a charity game. That didn't even count. Yes. So, but that is a player. If you go back and I was there for this right after the NCAA tournament this year. And, and like I mentioned, Bill Self had the, the heart issue and missed that time coaching. Didn't get to coach the NCAA tournament, but he held a press conference after the tournament. That was essentially a, Hey, look, I'm healthy. I'm fine. I had to recover. I went on vacation. I'm good. 
let's rock and roll. And he talked about getting KU to a higher level than it's been before, which you might remember two seasons ago, KU won the national championship. Like he's trying to yep. really shoot for the stars here, especially with the NCAA infractions case winding down. He has gone all in to try to take this program up beyond where even Kansas basketball has imagined before. And at that same press conference in Lawrence, he mentioned we would love to get a big man. And it sounded like he was joking that could get 20 and 10. I'm like, oh yeah, because those just grow on trees. We know that with the portal, there's there's always whispers about who might go in or there's, you know, maybe backroom dealings in some cases. I'm not saying that's what happened here, but that is a, a clarion call to Hunter Dickinson, who jumps in the portal. And I know he considered Maryland. I know he considered Villanova and Georgetown and these other places. There is no place better for an offensive big man to develop his game and be a superstar than with Bill Self. I mean, it his track record speaks for itself, pun kind of intended. And it's just a perfect fit for Dickinson. So the defense, not great, but he he will have to play some of it to play for Bill Self. And Self's not taking him off the floor. So that defense will be there at some point. Uh, Arterio Morris, former five-star recruit, went to Texas after one year's transferring to KU. Great athlete there. Elmarco Jackson is KU's best freshman, five-star point guard. A lot of high expectations for him. Another fresh or another transfer to watch, Nick Timberlake, sixth-year guy, transfer from Towson. Great three-point shooter, uh, over 40% for his career, if I remember correctly. And then one other name, the most recent addition to the team, Johnny Furphy. Big kid, big wing. He's an Australian. He was at the NBA Academy in Australia. Blew up this summer. Reclassified to join KU this year. And sounds like he is going to play a bunch as a freshman. Really already overly developed for how old he is. So this, after I gave you the entire bio for everybody on the team, pretty much, this team has the talent and obviously has the coaching. It should not just be a contender to be a Final Four team. If you asked all of college basketball right now, who are the four teams that have the best chance to get there and need to get there based on their talent? KU should be in that group. And that's pressure. But again, it's Kansas. Kansas should have pressure to get that far because it's the winningest program in the history of the sport. It should have that kind of pressure. And it's got the talent to match this year. Brendan, before I let you go, is there any specialty food that I need to get at Memorial Stadium whenever I'm there on Friday? Okay, so at the stadium... Probably not. <laughs> for okay. being honest, no, I haven't been to a game as a fan in a long time. And I, real quick side note: the fact that I have to work on Friday night and doing high school sports and not being at this game truly one of the greatest regrets of my entire life. But uh, at the stadium, probably not. Uh, I don't know exactly what the concessions are going to look like. But if you get a chance, if you're in Lawrence for a little extra time, either Friday night, Friday afternoon, Saturday at some point, uh, a few places you've got to hit up. Dempsey's best burgers in town. People will tell you it's burger stand. It is absolutely Dempsey's right by the library on Vermont. Absolutely phenomenal burgers. One of my favorite places in town, 23rd street brewery as well. It's a bit away from campus, 23rd street brewery. They've got a dish. It's their most famous one. Fittingly, it's called the bill self Buffalo chicken on top of Mac and cheese. Absolutely delicious. I wish I had it for dinner tonight and every single night. Uh, so that's the top food recommendations. You got to get the bill self, even if it feels uh, like a little bit of sacrilege if you're an <laughs> Illini fan making the trip. Brendan, I want to thank you for your time. It was great to reconnect after the Tay and Jay internship that you had that summer. That was that was great uh, meeting you back then. And uh, where could people find you? I know you mentioned a lot of different spots, but how about one uh, one spot? of where you can where we can consume all of your content. 
the best place would be 580 WIBW AM. It's based out of Topeka. You can listen to it online. Same URL. It's 580WIBW.com. I'm on the air with two of my co-hosts, two to six every day. Again, KU, Kansas State, Chiefs, Royals, general NFL, general college football. Um, and if you're looking on social media, it's on the screen if you're watching the video of this as well. At BrendanDZW is where you can find me on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it at this point. But that that's usually where you can find me. I'm pretty online. So if you're looking for me, you'll you'll probably be able to find me. Brendan, thank you again. You have a great rest of your night and have a great high school football Friday. Austin, I appreciate it, man. Enjoy <laughs> Lawrence. Enjoy the game. I'm I'm thrilled for it. Can't wait. Will do. See you, man. See you, man.